Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Record-breaking winter weather. There's no service coming and going out of cabinets now. From traffic and travel disruptions to a fatal accident the devastating impact of too much snow surplus spending in the bc budget when times are tough you need government in your corner the hits the misses and the budget surprise that got the biggest applause and injured in a wrongful arrest i was terrified for my life yeah how he ended up taking non-lethal shots from the dpd you're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. One more wallop from winter and it might not be done with us yet. Many British Columbians woke up to more snow than they expected, delaying the morning commute and downing trees and power lines across the lower mainland and beyond. Grace Key is live in Vancouver for us tonight. Quite a difference from this morning, Grace, but the flurries left commuters extremely frustrated. Yeah, we're just on the corner of Broadway and Commercial here by the uh, transit station. And what a huge difference. So right now it's looking pretty good, but earlier this morning, huge lineups as people were trying to avoid the traffic mess. The snow came down in droves overnight, and by daybreak, it was a traffic mess in some spots. Multiple stalled vehicles on the causeway made for major delays across the Lionsgate Bridge. Northbound traffic was closed for most of the morning. For people heading downtown, it was a long wait. Hour and a half so far. Oh, it was brutal. Um, I came from Capilano Mall, and it took me almost an hour just to get to Lionsgate Bridge. In Coquitlam's Westwood Plateau, it was a challenge for some vehicles to get up the hill, and going down was just as tricky. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't stop coming down the hill, and I just put it into the curb, and I've been sitting here ever since. There were some uh, pretty severe delays for bus customers this morning, as uh, road conditions varied throughout the region. SkyTrain, Seabus, West Coast Express all ran regular service, which we're very proud of. Trees toppled down by heavy snow was another major problem across the region, especially for drivers. And for BC Hydro, crews were kept busy around the area with power outages caused by downed trees across power lines. Various parks, including Stanley Park, were also closed due to hazardous snow and icy conditions. What the heck is this? Electric snow shovel, they call it. Oh, this is good. Yeah. It was another day of shoveling, with some opting to ditch the car if possible. I'm from Winnipeg, so I know how to drive in this stuff. I've got oh, many years of practice of driving in snow. I enjoy the snow, just don't enjoy driving it. That's why I'm walking today. <laughs> so by afternoon, we did some of that, see some of that snow melting, and there were definitely some city crews out there as well trying to clear up those catch basins. Chris? All right, yeah, we're all going to need to pitch in to do that, I think, over the next little while. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, Grace. Well, during the heaviest snowfall, a senior was struck and killed by a commercial truck on a residential street in West Vancouver. West Van police say an 83-year-old man was hit by an 18-wheel flatbed while on the 800 block of 3rd Street this morning. There are reports he was operating a snowblower at the time and may have been partially on the street when he was hit.
The pe pedestrian um, has been uh, uh, deceased at the scene and ICARS is currently on scene investigating. We are in the early stages of the investigation um, and so the road is currently closed off in the 800 block of 3rd Street and will be while investigators um, work to find the details out. The driver remained at the scene and is cooperating with police. Now, today's record snowfall resulted in some travel chaos with dozens of flights and ferry sailings cancelled. Many parents were also caught off guard as many schools were closed and thousands of kids enjoyed an unexpected snow day across the Lower Mainland. Travis Prasad is live at YVR tonight with more on those cancellations and trying to catch up. Travis. Yeah, Chris, canceled and delayed flights has been the story here at YVR today. We've seen some frustrated travelers being forced to rebook their canceled flights. Many of them should have been wheels up hours ago, but still haven't gone anywhere. Planes on the runway, but not all of them leaving the ground. Snowfall forcing the cancellations of 95 flights in and out of YVR. It's a complete chaos for three inches of snow. So uh, what can I do? The challenge was the rate of snowfall, which in turn limits visibility, as well as the impact of that particularly heavy snowfall on the effectiveness of de-icing. There is a point at which de-icing fluid is no longer effective, and a plane cannot take off safely. Conditions cleared into the afternoon, but many planes were covered in thick layers of snow. Before taking off, they were forced to line up for de-icing, causing dozens more delays. We do have a central de-icing facility, uh, but we also, in events like this, look to do some of the smaller propeller planes on the gates, uh, and we also have trucks down at the south terminal. So we are trying to do as, as many de-icing operations as we possibly can. At domestic departures, a long line of travellers waiting to rebook their cancelled flights. I don't know what to say except for we're totally frustrated standing here all day. It's been a lot of not knowing where to go, what to do, and then we wait in a line for an hour and a half and find out we're in the wrong line. Service disruptions hitting BC ferries as well. Crew shortages meant sailings between Tawasin and the southern Gulf Islands were cancelled all day with delays on other routes early this morning. All public schools in North Vancouver and West Vancouver were closed today, as well as some private schools. Back at the airport, YVR says it's been fully staffed all day, and crews are now making sure the snow doesn't turn to ice. Uh, we are expecting con uh, temperature conditions to drop, uh, so we're doing everything we can to clear all of the remaining snow off the surfaces so we don't see any freezing. And Chris, it's been quite a snowy season here at YVR. I'll give you some numbers to put things into context. 78.2 centimeters of snow has fallen at the airport this winter, and that's 221% of normal accumulations. <laughs> that is a lot, certainly more than we're used to. Travis, uh, thanks very much. That's Travis Prasad at YVR. Now, crews on Vancouver Island were ready when snow started falling during the commute last night. The storm packed a punch in some areas, making roads a little dicey through the overnight. The snow wasn't as bad in the Victoria area, but as Kylie Stanton reports, BC Transit wasn't taking any chances. Start your engines. It's clear winter is not done with us yet. Uh, it was quite the surprise this morning, actually. The last day of February brought yet another snowfall to Vancouver Island, hitting some areas especially hard. I mean, it seems like almost like two feet. 
A snowfall warning remained in effect for Greater Victoria and eastern Vancouver Island as up to 30 centimetres of new snow made its way to the region. Weather alerts were out and crews were back at it for the night. Uh, it was fairly intensive. Right now we got a tandem plow heading out. Despite the work by MCOM services, some vehicles still managed to skid off the road, requiring tow trucks and blocking traffic, a risk BC Transit was not willing to take. Due to the road conditions, BC Transit made the difficult decision to temporarily suspend service first thing this morning. Hardly any snow. While service began to resume just after 7 a.m., many passengers were left with little choice but to walk, walking a mile and a half or so. But would be bus passengers weren't the only ones arriving behind schedule. About an hour. <laughs> the flight was late and then they lost my bag. Several morning flights in and out of Victoria International Airport were cancelled or delayed. Airport airfield crews working through the day to clear snow on the secondary runway. But as it starts to melt, everyone's job gets a little easier. Fortunately, things are warming up. BC Hydro has crews working to get its 30,000 customers that lost power at the height of the storm back up and running. The hardest hit areas, Seashelt, the southern Gulf Islands, Saanich and parts of the Cowichan Valley. It's unlikely we're going to get everybody up tonight. There will be some pockets, probably in some of the Gulf Islands, where we won't see power restored tonight. Uh, but certainly we have a lot of crews over there and tending to it as quickly as we can. But the good news is, with March now just around the corner, this may be the last blast of winter. And just in case, some are making the most of it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon is watching this closely. And now that the worst is over, at least for the moment, Christy, what should we expect overnight mm -hmm. and into the morning rush? Well, the biggest concern is the drop in temperature. Here's a quick look. So we are expecting temperatures to drop to minus two in Metro Vancouver. Wind chill factor will be down to minus six. Now, right now, we're seeing very light showers. We even have the potential of that overnight. And a lot of that could freeze. Certainly the roads are wet at this point, and that could freeze sidewalks as well. So be prepared to uh, salt your sidewalk or the roads in front of your house if, if need be. Uh, as for tomorrow, we are expecting dry conditions in terms of no more snowfall through the morning hours. So the morning commute, despite the fact we are going to see expect icy conditions, it, it we're not expecting any more snowfall. However, Environment Canada just this afternoon issuing a special weather statement. That is for tomorrow night. When I come back, I'll show you which areas have the potential for 15 centimeters by Thursday morning. Chris, mm, All right, more on the way. Thanks very much, Christy. And a final note on weather for now. Today's snow obliterated the record for this day at 21 six centimeters recorded at the airport. The last day of February has seen snow before, but it's rare. In 1976, just over four centimeters, nearly two centimeters in 1987, a trace amount of 0 0.6 in 2017, and only 0 0.3 in 1962. Well, BC is unveiling its 2023 budget, and it includes a lot of spending on key priorities like health care and affordability. But spending the surplus is one thing, and the province projects big deficits over the next few years. The budget forecasts a $4.2 billion deficit in 2023-24, $3.8 billion the following year, and a $3 billion deficit in year three. BC's economic growth is also expected to slow down. 
This year, the province saw 2.8% growth. That's expected to drop down to 0.04%, sorry, 0.4% next year. Richard Zussman has more on where all that money will go and reaction to all that spending. It's finally here. More than five years after making the promise, the province has ruled out the renter's rebate. And we know that one-third of all British Columbians rent their homes. And we expect it will benefit more than 80% of renters' households. It looks a little different now than in 2017 when it was first committed. Income tested with those making $60,000 per year eligible to up to $400. Just $33 a month. Those that make between sixty dollars and $80,000 a year, it's partial credit. The credit claimed on personal income taxes. Also to consider, rents in Metro Vancouver have gone up on average more than $400 a month since the promise was first made. When times are tough, you need government in your corner. Do you feel like things are better off today than they were six years ago? Long-awaited support for addiction treatment beds finally on the books. Nearly $1 billion in new funding over three years, including $586 million for future treatment and recovery beds. But people will still need to pay because any treatment bed operating now does not qualify. Mental health is health, and we're making the largest investment in mental health and addiction services in BC's history. There's record-breaking spending on health care to pay for a new doctor's deal and the cancer plan. And the promise with the biggest applause? Come April, BC will be the first jurisdiction in the country to offer free prescription contraception. This is removing a, a major barrier that people face to accessing contraception, and it's a fantastic move. What's missing is support for business. Nothing around bringing economic stimulus to the province or making it easier for those already here. And the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade gives it a C-. Business is missing from the budget. There's a lack of economic strategy to increase investment to our region. Carbon taxes going up. And gas prices could be 27 cents a litre higher by 2030. The shelter rate going up as well. $150 per month more for income and disability assistance. Not in the budget. TransLink money the Mayor's Council asked for. But the hope is Ottawa will eventually come with the money and then BC will match. Richard Zos from Global News, Victoria. So Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this budget. Keith, a huge capital spending plan was announced. You have more on that and reaction to it as well. Yeah, so again, this is a record capital expenditure plan over three years. The numbers are quite astonishingly high. And this is basically building things you drive on, you go to school in, you get health care in. Here's how it breaks down in terms of different uh, sectors. Transportation is the big one, $13.2 billion over three years. That includes such projects as the Broadway subway, the Patella Bridge, the new Fraser River Tunnel. $11.2 billion is for health facilities, including a new St. Paul's Hospital, a new Surrey Cancer Center, and the Royal Columbian uh, Redevelopment. Also, Post-secondary education is also getting a, a pretty big lift as well. $5.5 billion, including a lot of so, uh, student housing around B.C., including University of Victoria and Douglas College in New West, and $3.4 billion for K-12 schools. Finance Minister Katrina Conroy today in her budget speech saying this is the biggest infrastructure program in B.C. history, but not everyone likes it. Noted uh, uh, economist for B.C. Business Council Ken Peacock says this is not the time to be sending this type of money. With the largest infrastructure investment in our province's history. If you're looking for good family supporting work, British Columbia is the place to be. 
We're creating jobs by building hospitals from Lionsgate to Stewart Lake, by building schools in fast-growing areas, by building a fast, reliable transit network, including the Broadway subway and the Surrey-Langley SkyTrain, and by building homes for generations of British Columbians. I, I don't think we should be having a large deficit right now. The, uh, there was a large fiscal upside surprise in last year's budget. This year's budget, it would have made a lot more sense to either a very skinny deficit or, or a small surplus would have been entirely manageable, I think. So sticking with the spending theme, Chris, so keep in mind we're still one month uh, out from the end of the fiscal year. Today, Finance Minister Katrina Conroy said there's still that surplus sitting there. Some of it's going to be applied against the debt, but there's still more spending to come in this fiscal year. So more programs, uh, or not programs, but one-time spending announcements expected from a number of ministers between now and March 31st. And the Prime Minister is in town tomorrow, so we might get an announcement out of that, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Keith, thanks very much. Vancouver homeowners are facing what could be the largest property tax hike in years, even bigger than expected. Mayor Ken Sims says this year's tax increase could top 10 percent. Aaron MacArthur shows us what homeowners and other residents will get in return. Last week, city staff presented a draft budget that would be funded by a property tax hike of nearly 9.7 percent. According to the mayor, that number is inaccurate. Instead, the ABC majority on council is proposing an amendment to increase funding across the board. Paying for it will cost taxpayers more like 10.7% more. I know increases like this are hard. Frankly, they suck. We completely understand that. Nobody likes property tax increases. Despite being highly critical of previous council's spending habits, the ABC majority is offering up more spending across nearly every core area in the city. They claim to improve service. COVID spending depleted reserves. And the mayor now says artificially low taxes have eroded services to the point where immediate action needs to be taken. The choice in front of us today is we either bite the bullet and we fix it now, or we kick the problem down the road until it becomes an even greater and expensive problem. The amendment proposed aims to see 1.03 million spent on engineering services to improve road conditions, 1.8 million for snow removal and preparation, 4.19 million more to fund Vancouver fire services, and 3.6 million on top of the increases promised at the Vancouver Police Department. Green Party councillors offering up no opposition to digging deeper into taxpayers' wallets. Certainly there's some spending pieces that we might prioritize differently, but on the whole, I'm very happy to see a lot of the commitments that, that the mayor just made. Public input on the budget began Tuesday. A vote is expected on the amendment and the budget as a whole in early March. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, a home renovation that went sideways. It angers me that we had no recourse. We, there was nothing we could do. The state of his home after hiring the wrong contractor and why he came to Consumer Matters for help next on the News Hour. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days In, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. 
a Consumer Matters follow-up regarding the lack of protections for homeowners who hire contractors for renovations. In B.C., there is no license required to be a renovator, and that can create all sorts of problems, as Andrea shows us right now. And Thanks, Chris. It's a frustration for many homeowners, whether it's for an unfinished renovation or dealing with deficiencies after a project is complete. When things go wrong with a renovator, it appears in B.C. the homeowner has few options, with the exception of going to court. The island's two feet too long so there's not enough room to get through. Just a few of the deficiencies Scott Leatham is still dealing with well after he hired a contractor to renovate his home, a project he says was never fully completed. You're getting screwed by the people that you hired, for lack of a better term. Back in May 2020, the Pitt Meadows resident hired a contractor to renovate his home. He was quoted approximately $100,000 and told it would take seven weeks to complete. He says the demolition started right away, but after that, the project came to a standstill, and Scott says he was left with excuses. It was uh, supply chain issues. It was, we can't find anything everybody's short staff. Eventually, Scott and his family moved back home months later, but he says the workmanship was substandard. Scott ended up firing the contractor. He didn't have a formal contract and says he was out thousands of dollars. I'm shocked that there's no oversight for this kind of work. In B.C., contractors are not required to be licensed. Consumer Protection BC, the province's regulator, says the laws that it's responsible for are narrow in scope in terms of when it can intervene. For home renos, the regulator says it would intervene in situations where no work has been done yet and if a contract did not contain the required contents or the consumer did not get a copy of the contract. In BC, with us, uh, we're responsible for the future performance contracts. So if partial work has been done, then the avenue for a consumer is to either go to court or the civil resolution tribunal. Compare that to neighboring Alberta, where under its consumer protection laws, a contractor who requests a deposit must be licensed and bonded. While that currently doesn't exist in B.C., the Canadian Home Builders Association of B.C. says it's hoping government moves towards some form of licensing. It would certainly mitigate some of the problems that exist because you're going to professionalize an industry that right now is really unregulated in most cases. Scott says he would like to see better protections too to avoid the uphill battle he experienced when it came to renovating his home. And B.C.'s Ministry of Housing has told us it's not currently considering legislation similar to Alberta's. Just to add here, if a homeowner is hiring a contractor to do electrical or gas work as part of a renovation, the contractor must hold a license from Technical Safety B.C. and must ensure work is done by qualified workers. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thank you very much. And coming up, a painful takedown. They shot first, ask questions later. How a man wrongfully arrested describes how he was treated by Vancouver police. And the biggest celebration to hit the streets of B.C. is coming back. Why you should mark April 22nd on your calendar. A man who was shot with less lethal rounds and detained by Vancouver police last week in a case of mistaken identity 
is speaking to Global News about his terrifying experience. Elijah Barnett says he was walking his friend's dog in Yaletown Wednesday afternoon when he was knocked to the ground, hit by two Arwen gun rounds before he even knew what was happening. Amaragahi has the details. I got a cut on my wrist. I've got a cut on my shoulder. I feel a lot of pain here. Elijah Barnett doesn't live here, but he says what happened to him in his short time in Vancouver will have a lifelong impact. They shot first, asked questions later, 100%. Last Wednesday, he was mistaken for a wanted suspect by the Vancouver police, shot twice with rubber bullets and arrested publicly near Pacific Boulevard and Richard Street downtown. Walk along with Judy. Next thing I know, I'm face down in this garden bed. It's awful. You I mean, you can't do anything. You've got boots on your face and, and you know, bodies holding you down and cuffs that are cutting your hands open. You know, I was just screaming for help. They were just shouting on the ground and then they were shooting like there was nothing like show us your ID or hands or something. It took hours before police confirmed Barnett wasn't who they were after. The correct suspect was 47-year-old Dean Gallant, wanted Canada-wide and arrested in another part of the city later that night in connection to a violent home invasion in Calgary. No idea why they would think that I looked anything like this person because I look nothing like that person. We apologized to him on the scene and it's really an unfortunate set of circumstances. Um, because of what happened, um, because of the unfortunate set of circumstances, we've, uh, we made the decision immediately to notify the Office of the BC Police Complaint Commissioner. And depending on the result of that professional conduct investigation into the actions of those arresting officers, there could be even more fallout. The city of Vancouver could be liable for the actions of an individual police officer. The police officers themselves are unlikely to be liable civilly unless uh, they behave in some way that's found to be grossly negligent. And um, the, the standard for that is much, much higher. I want them all charged with violent crime because that's exactly what it was violent assault. Barnett is in the process of hiring his own lawyer and wants more than just an apology. Amaragahi, Global News. We all know catalytic converter theft is a major problem these days and a tweet by Delta Police shows just how easily and quickly the thieves get it done. In the security video, an SUV pulls up to a home and the thief gets out carrying a power tool. In just seconds, he's under one of the vehicles in the driveway. In total, he makes just 10 seconds of noise with his cutting tool, and the entire theft from beginning to end takes only a minute. Delta police say if you hear that sound during the night, call 911 if you know it's suspicious. With the March break travel season around the corner, Canada's busiest airport is making big changes that might impact your travel. Pearson Airport in Toronto will put hard caps on the number of flights at given times. Global Sean O'Shea has more on how it'll work. Canada's biggest airport, where travelers have strong opinions about the service they get, and in recent months, the long delays they face. Frustrations hit the boiling point over the Christmas holidays, when bad weather caused serious flight delays. It's probably one of the worst airports I've been to in terms of getting your baggage. I travel a lot, and uh, I don't like traveling through Pearson. Pearson Airport can't be blamed for everything that goes wrong here. But from broken baggage systems to a lack of communication, the airport has earned some of the worst possible reviews since last summer. 
Now, as soon as next month, Pearson will be allowing fewer flights to do what it calls flattened peak hour schedules. The airport says it will place hard limits on the number of commercial flights that can arrive or depart in any given hour, along with limits on business and general aviation flights. In a statement, the airport authority said it will cap the number of passengers who can arrive internationally or depart to the United States through each terminal in a given hour. The airport says the changes will begin with the March break period and include the travel season next summer. Better than doing nothing. If you have 10 planes coming in and you have to do baggage sorting and all that sort of thing, that makes the system really tighten up. Where Compared to only five planes, that system should be working a lot more efficiently. But I don't think they should stop any flights, no, absolutely not. If you're the biggest airport in Canada and you're known uh, for its international destinations, I think that you have to work it out, you have to work out the kinks. Frances Lasowski of Hamilton has strong views about Pearson. She asked me to carry her ski bag, so I did. Does Pearson need some improvements? I think Pearson needs a lot of improvement. Perhaps less congestion at peak times would help, but she says the airport has a long way to go. My preference at all times is if I could fly out of Buffalo. Not practical for most travelers who are left to hope Pearson's problems will improve. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. Canada's supply of the infant Moderna COVID-19 vaccine is set to expire soon with relatively low vaccination rates in younger children. BC isn't expected to get a new shipment in on time. Currently, the vaccine supply meant for children aged six months to five years old will expire March 7th, but BC won't get a new shipment until April 11th. Parents with Moderna vaccine appointments for their children between March 9th and April 10th will be contacted to discuss rebooking options. The Pfizer infant vaccine is also available to substitute, but requires three doses at eight-week intervals compared to Moderna's two doses. Only about 20% of children in this age group so far are vaccinated. It looks like 2023 is going to mark the return of one of BC's biggest events. After three years of pandemic cancellations, the Surrey Kalsadeh Vasaki Parade billed as the largest of its kind in the world, is going to return April 22nd. Organizers say they expect about a half a million people to gather for the parade and the hundreds of booths that line the route. In previous years, people have traveled to Surrey from across the United States and from as far away as Europe and Australia. It is a feast and good to see it back. Okay, if it feels like we've had a lot of snow over the past three months, you are correct. And Christy's got the numbers to prove it, Christy. That's right. So we talked a little, little bit earlier about uh, record-breaking snowfall for today at YVR officially. Here's a look at the numbers. We had eight centimeters of snow. You mentioned 21.6. That's actually for the month of February. My mistake when transferring information to Chris, everyone. But there's a look at the numbers. Actually, Victoria was uh, most at 15 centimeters, although I had reports of significant snow on the Sunshine Coast. We don't have any official numbers from that area, but this just gives you an idea of how much. But when we look at the last four months, Months. November had 12 centimeters of snow, typically only three. December, we had 41.8 centimeters of snow, typically close to 15. January, we didn't have a lot. It was mild in January, but nonetheless, some did fall. And certainly over the last couple of days, it brought us in February to 21.6 centimeters of snow. So when you tally it up, we are well above uh, average with 221% of normal for November, December, January, and February. And we've got more on the way into March as well. 
Probably not at YVR, though. So it's these areas, North Shore, as well as the Fraser uh, Valley and the House Sound region that are under a special weather statement. Here's the reason why. Tomorrow is going to be dry for the most part during the day. Don't forget, tonight's going to freeze. Very icy tomorrow morning. But by the evening hours, we'll start to see the system drive down and a cold front will move across the region tomorrow night. So it's mainly tomorrow evening, tomorrow night that we have the potential for that snow. And you can see it's very localized over those northern regions of Metro Vancouver and Howe Sound. So we're not done with this snowfall just yet, although there are some models that are showing there's a potential for just rain. We'll update that tomorrow. So really tune back in tomorrow and we'll have a better idea as to what the temperature will be when that snowfall pushes in. And that will determine how much snow we see by Thursday morning. In the meantime, a dry day tomorrow and very icy in the morning. There's a quick look at your long range. We are expecting wet conditions and warmer conditions by the weekend. Tonight's center windows weather window coming to you from Ladner. These two little ones, uh, this is Rory and I'll, I'll have a, the, her name on the other one. Where's Izzy that did some incredible snowmaking today. Uh, look at that with the bike and everything. So a lot of smiles for the kids out there today, despite some frustrations, certainly for parents. I do get it. I was one of them, but it's so great for the kids. Chris, back to you. It sure is a lot of fun. Kids and dogs. I can attest to that too. All right, Squire joins us now with uh, sports and Canuck fans had to say goodbye to one of their faves. Well, it's someone we kind of knew was going to be traded, I guess. It was just a matter of time. Luke Shen is no longer a Vancouver Canuck. He's going to be challenged to a fight here, which didn't last very long. Yeah, he's going back to the team where he started his NHL career, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Squire is back now with sports, starting with the trade. The trade. There could be more. Mm -hmm. This is today's trade. And like a spawning salmon, Luke Shen is going back to where his NHL career was born. He was traded to Toronto today for a third-round draft choice this year. It was the Maple Leafs who drafted Luke Shen fifth overall back in 2008. Now, this is a good move for Toronto. They'll likely play Tampa in round one. Shen knows that team. He won a couple of Stanley Cups with them. And he can provide size, which is really needed in the postseason. You like to have big defensemen. It's also likely he'll play against the Canucks Saturday when Toronto visits Rogers Arena. You would hope so, anyway. This is a move the uh, Canucks had to make. Get something back for Shannon's contract was running out at the end of the season. He was good for Vancouver. A plus 24 in the last season and a half, which is amazing, considering how bad this team has been defensively. The trade also gives Vancouver six, possibly seven picks in the first four rounds of this year's draft. And the more picks you have, the better your odds are at finding a guy who can actually play one day in the NHL. So now who else can Vancouver trade before Friday's deadline comes and goes? JT Miller will not be easy. His supersize me contract starts next year and a lot of teams won't have that kind of space under the salary cap going forward unless the Canucks pick up some of the contract themselves. But of course they have budget issues too. Brock Besser is another player Vancouver would like to trade his contract. It's easier to move than JT's. It ends in 2025. There are a number of ways Canucks management could go before Friday, and I don't think they're done making deals just yet. All the big names could be traded before Friday. Patrick Kane was finally moved to the Rangers in a three-way deal with Chicago and Arizona. Chicago gets a second and fourth round pick. It's funny, during the history of the NHL, so many aging superstars seem at some point in their career to land with the Rangers. Kane still has gas in the tank, and he will have way better players to work with in New York than he had in Chicago. So you can be spitting mad, 
but you can't be mad enough to spit on somebody. New York Rangers defenseman Keandre Miller has been suspended three games for spitting on Kings defenseman Drew Doughty. Miller did say that he apologized directly to Doughty after the incident was over. Uh, that was a bad loss by the Whitecaps on Saturday to Rayal Salt Lake. You can't be losing your home games, especially the first game of the year. The Whitecaps couldn't score on numerous great chances. They only got one goal. They lost 2-1. But they did look energized in the latter part of the second half when Sergio Cordova got into the game. So does Cordova start Saturday in San Jose? Sergio, we love to, uh, we love to see how much minutes he has in, in his legs. So the idea is that uh, if, he, if we think that he can do 45 at least, he's in the battle to start. If we think that he can do less than 45 at higher level, he will be for sure an option on the bench. At this weekend's Rugby Sevens tournament, of course, both the Canadian and men's, both the Canadian men's and women's teams will be there, and they are both underdogs. They're obviously hoping that home field is going to provide some advantages to them because they could really use high finishes in this tournament. Yeah, it's definitely a big, it's a big deal. I think it's a really good opportunity for us to showcase uh, women's rugby, especially in front of a home crowd. I heard that uh, we have a couple, a couple of days sold out, so we're looking forward to getting that energy from our fans. That boost of additional adrenaline is a much-needed shot for both the Canadian women and men's Rugby Sevens programs. For the first time in the history of Canada Sevens, the women get to share the pitch at BC Place with their male counterparts. Canadian women sitting 10th in the overall standings, while the men have fallen all the way down to 14th. I think we're looking at really just building a new foundation of our game. Um, you know, we're winning games uh, in a way that we weren't winning them before. Um, so now we just got to combine the two efforts and, and put a performance that we can be proud of as well. What does that foundation look like? What are you building um, We talk a little about kind of uh, building from the back out, right? Defense wins a little more uh, in tournaments like this. So that's been our focus over the last month, is really looking at a defensive foundation. A strong showing in Vancouver would go a long way towards the men keeping their elite status in rugby sevens. If they don't finish inside the top 12, they'll be relegated from HSBC sevens and forced to play their way back into the top series. No, you always have the goal of, you know, setting yourself up and getting a quarterfinal and then go from there. I mean, we're, we're, we're home, so let's, we're, we're thinking about winning the whole thing. <laughs> Making a deep run is also something Canada's women's side will be trying for. Coming off the Olympics, they overhauled their roster with a much-needed youth movement. Last month in Australia, they delivered a top 10 finish and are looking to better that result at home inside BC Place. Every tournament is a big lesson and a big learning curve, so I think just building off of um, our last tournament in Sydney, I think we have a lot to show in, in our home tournament here. Yeah, we're here to perform and we know that our goal at the end of the day is qualify for the Olympics and getting into the quarterfinals is definitely our main goal for this tournament. The HSBC Canada Sevens begins Friday and wraps up on Sunday. Jay Janower, Global Sports. There you go, Mr. Rugby. It's going to be a fun weekend, yeah. no doubt about it. All right, uh, young students feeling the Bhangra beat for better heart health. Coming up next. Well, Jordan Armstrong is standing by now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, a rescue is underway for a base jumper stuck a few hundred feet up the chief in Squamish. We have a camera en route to that. Plus, we're going to zero in on a key element of today's budget. The carbon tax is going up. 
In fact, the tax on gasoline could be as high as 37 cents a liter by 2030. Right now, it's about 11 cents. By then, the expectation is far more people will be driving electric vehicles. But affordability and supply of electric vehicles remain major roadblocks. So we'll take a closer look at both tonight. Chris? Sounds good, Jordan. Thanks very much. Well, here's a surprising statistic. The South Asian population is at higher risk for heart disease or obesity than many other populations. And to counter that worrying trend, researchers asked school kids in Surrey to participate in a study that combines Bhangra dance with heart health. And as Julie Nolan shows us, the lessons they learned could lead to lifelong good habits. These kids are having a blast at these Bhangra classes. And they likely don't realize just how healthy this is for them. More than 170 elementary school kids were part of a seven-month-long study where researchers at BC Children's Hospital looked at how to improve health outcomes. Dancing. Dancing? But why is dancing so much fun? Because you learn. You learn? Learning while having fun. Researchers had a hunch they were onto something just by dancing an hour twice a week heart health improved for these kids. Researchers say without an activity like this, the South Asian population has a risk for heart disease or obesity, even at an early age compared to other ethnic groups. Kids who are active as children are more likely to be active as adults. Kids who are sedentary as children are more likely to be sedentary as adults. The classes are free, and it's not just health benefits that are being realized here. All the parents are really happy because they want their child to be actually connected with the culture. The kids are learning Punjabi at the same time while learning the dance. While it's been typically more of a dance for males as a way to celebrate the harvest back in India, now everyone is welcome here and the positives keep on coming. If I dance, I feel confident. If I don't dance, I still feel confident. Burning up as many as 500 calories a session, researchers hope this connection to culture also means a connection to a healthier lifestyle for years to come. Julie Nolan, Global News. Might be the most joyful workout there is. Uh, okay, be careful if you're out there doing anything athletic or active because it could be icy in the morning, right, Christy? Yeah, I have to admit, I'm still hearing a lot of melting right now, but I'm also seeing my breath. So I am expecting the temperatures to drop to minus two, wind chill minus six. Uh, we are expecting it to refreeze. So watch for icy conditions tomorrow. And then it's not until tomorrow evening that we have the potential for snow once again, more likely tomorrow night. Getting used to this now. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night.